Hello, welcome to Tales from the Albright, a podcast by the Scranton Public Library. Today we are continuing on our true crime episode series, and so far everything has been very focused on men who did crime. The only woman that has been covered so far has been Ella Olesnovich last week. So today we are going to talk about a group of three women who shoplifted throughout the city of Scranton, Pittston, and Wilkes-Barre. That sounds interesting. Yes. So our guest today is Jess, who has been on the podcast many times before. Nice to always be back here with you, Alyssa. So in our collection of mugshots from the Scranton Department of Public Safety that we have the multiple binders, there are a handful of women in there. I feel like I just never really talked about them. So I want to get into that portion of crime. And shoplifting was a very traditional crime committed by women at the time. Interesting. Yeah. This shoplifting ring, which I will call it that just (laughs) because I don't know how else to describe it, consisted of Myra Brown, Annie Bachman, and Edith Connell. They were all caught shoplifting on March 12th of 1906. In our collection, we only have the mugshots for Myra Brown and Edith Connell. Myra's mugshot lists her as Marion, but most of the newspapers list her as Myra. So I'm going with Myra for the episode. Okay. She is wearing a winter coat and a white shirtwaist top underneath it. On the back, she's described as 38 years old with dark brown hair and blue eyes. It is noted that she worked as a housekeeper. The second mugshot that we have is for Edith Connell, who is wearing a very fancy hat that has mesh detailing in the back and decorative elements on top. She is wearing a winter jacket and a shirtwaist top as well, as they were the popular style at the time and what women traditionally wore. She is described as being 44 years old with dark gray hair and gray eyes. She also worked as a housekeeper, and both of them were from Pittston. On March 13th, the Scranton Truth ran a front page article titled Three Women Arrested for Shoplifting. It named all of them as operating an extensive shoplifting ring throughout Scranton. They were described as being regarded as models of respectability with their husbands and children who had shoplifting worked out to a science. In a move that was very typical of the time, their social connections were described. So it was noted that one was the wife of a printer and one's brother-in-law was a policeman. They didn't specify which ones though. So all I know is one of the three's brother was the policeman and one of the three was married to a printer. Interesting. Who they weren't, can't say. Yeah, we don't know. <laughs> no. Interesting that one was married to a police officer. Or their brother-in-law was oh, a police officer. Oh, their brother-in-law. Officer. But still. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, still within the family. Yes. So the women were caught attempting to steal from Jonas Long's son's store. It is noted that they were allowed to browse and go through the store undisturbed until they tried to leave. At this point, they were arrested. Police Chief Day then learned that one of them had eight pieces of china from a dinner set worth $45. During a search conducted by matron Annie Murray, it was discovered that the group had used their stockings and underclothes to conceal numerous items. 
These included four kimonos, dress goods, a gas burner and mantle, boys' knickerbockers, which are those short pants, Mm -hmm. and women's belts. She also discovered that the woman also had stolen two books that they hid in their stockings. Oh, yeah. Okay. So the first book was Ship of Stars, and then the other one is Phil the Fiddler. And because this is the library podcast, I went digging into what these books were, when they were published, and what they're about. Yes. (laughs) So, Ship of Stars. Do you want to guess what that was about? A Ship of Stars. (laughs) I mean, I'm going to assume it's about traveling across seas. But that's about all I got. (laughs) That's what I thought, too. But actually, it was an 1899 story written by Arthur Quiller Couch. And it is the story of Taffy, who was the son of a local priest in in Honoria, the daughter of a wealthy and powerful squire. The two fall in love, but cannot be together. And it's kind of a romantic tragedy. Aw. Yeah, so that is sad. Do you want to guess what Phil the Fiddler was about? I'm assuming and really hoping that there is a violin slash fiddle in this story. I would hope so, too. So the, <laughs> the entire title is Phil the Fiddler or the Story of a Young Street Musician. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it was written by Horatio Alger Jr. And it was published in 1872. And I was able to find that as recently as 1971, it's been reprinted. Oh. And there was a whole series of them with different names, all that were like, name the whatever okay so it was a whole series it seemed to be for children it Um, sounds like it with the rhyming yeah that's fun yeah so the story itself isn't that fun oh it is the story of phil who was a 12 year old italian boy whose parents sold him to a padrone or employer the employer had a gang of boys that he would send out every day with the instruction that they were to return with two dollars Phil earned his money by playing the fiddle. He had many adventures and eventually manages to escape from the bonds of his employer. Not as fun as I thought it would be. No, very not fun. Oh, poor Phil. I mean, but at least he did, he was able to get away. But those were the two books that they stole, and they were in their stockings. So the next day, March 14th of 1906, the Scranton Truth published an update. The woman's families claimed to have no knowledge of their crimes, and or that crimes were being committed at all, even though they lasted for some time. Their husbands had assumed that they were just purchasing all the items that they brought home. Yeah, but I mean, these are lower income families, yes? Middle class? Um, it seems like more middle class. Middle class, Because okay. especially Annie Bachman, when we get to her trial, she's described as wearing like furs. Oh, okay. Okay. So, so well within their means that they could probably purchase this stuff. That's what it seems like. Okay, okay. Yeah. According to the paper, the woman avoided detection due to their refined appearance and to the great skill with which they were able to lift an article from the counter and conceal it in their muffs, their skirts, or in their stockings. They had an entire system developed that they revealed to the police while being interrogated. And Mrs. Annie Bachman explained it. One of the women would get near the counter that had something that they wanted to take. And since they were with other women and it seemed like they were just browsing and having a good time, they would be able to slip everything in undetected. 
Two weeks prior to when they got caught trying to steal from Jonas Long's son's store, she also tried to steal from the same store, but alone. And this is when people got suspicious because she was just spending like way too much time like out one area. Okay. So they took note of her appearance and kept an eye out. She did manage to take two dishes at that point. And then all the clerks were alerted. And when they saw her come back into the store with Edith Connell and Myra Brown, they contacted the police. And that's how the police were there to arrest them when they actually tried to leave the store and steal. Police then made a search of all of their homes. They found over $400 worth of goods. They had stolen items from the Long's stores in Scranton and Wilkes-Barre, the Globe Warehouse, Goldsmith's Bazaar, and Woolworth's. So they were... Quite the collection. Yeah, they were going all over. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Myra pleaded guilty to stealing 36 items. Annie confessed to having stolen 58 items. And Edith only confessed to having stolen three items. Even though... a larger number of stolen items were found within her home. She claimed that her daughter, who lived in Kansas City, Missouri, had sent them to her. Myra Brown claimed that some of the items that seemed to be stolen in her house were sent from Philadelphia. So I have a question. Yes. So how would they figure out what items were actually stolen? So they wound up calling the people who owned each of the stores to come have a look. Oh, okay. So the clerk, I, I think it was the business owners that who knew what was missing from their stocks came down and okay. looked at the potentially stolen items. And they were like, oh, yeah, that was taken. We realized that was missing two weeks ago. Like That kind of thing? That kind of thing. Okay. On March 14th, there was their police court hearing. So I also realized from doing all of these how fast the justice system moved back in the early 1900s. So at the police court hearing, Magistrate Howe sentenced the woman to stay in jail until their official hearings in June. A large crowd had gathered at the courthouse, but no one except witnesses were allowed inside the courtroom. So I will say that the initial report was front page news, breaking front page news. So everyone was like, oh, these women are stealing. It was something that they didn't see every day. So they want to go to the courthouse to see what was going on, see who was doing the stealing. It was an exciting event in town today, yeah. um, but the judge wouldn't let anyone in. Annie Bachman was wearing expensive materials and furs, and she was the first one into the courtroom, and it was reported that she kept her head bowed throughout the entire hearing. It was noted that the police had a hard time demonstrating how the women stole the books and their stockings, since they were probably like 300 to 400 pages each, just like yeah. in stocking. Yeah. <laughs> I still don't understand how they did it. Yeah. Just because I feel like if I am just carrying books in a not mm-hmm. super secure like stance with my arms, they're just falling all over. So I don't know. I how can't imagine what stockings, but they manage. Annie had confessed to it, though, so they didn't really need to prove it. Oh, okay. Her bail was set at a total of $1,800, and she would be released after funds were raised and 1000 of it was paid in April. Mrs. Myra Brown 
was next into the courtroom, and the Scranton Republican stated that she was not as stylishly dressed and that she didn't have a degree of prosperity and opulence like Mrs. Bachman had. She confessed to four different shoplifting events and was given a $1,200 bail. Edith Connell was the last one to be sentenced, and she was given a $600 bail as only two charges were found against her. The newspaper reported that funds were being raised to get them out of jail, but they might be facing more charges from the Wilkes-Barre and Pittston stores, where they had also stolen. Oh, dear. So they were having a very not good time. Yeah, no. So even though their official hearings were set for June, I wasn't able to find anything until October. Oh. So on October 13th of 1906, the Scranton Times reported that Annie Bachman was put on trial before Judge Kelly. She pleaded guilty to all charges, and Judge Kelly believed that the court could be too lenient to women offenders, so he wanted to make an example out of her. Uh Uh-oh. Because of this, he sentenced her to the cost of replacing all the items she had taken, an additional $1 fine, and one year in jail. When her lawyer and people representing her raised the issue that she had already spent a month in the jail, he took that into account and reduced it to 11 months, so it would be one year total. Right. And then her husband was with her at the trial and sentencing and like stood with her and offered support. Wow, I'm shocked. Yeah, especially it, it seemed like the reaction from the families and neighbors was so drastic. Yeah. That, but no, he stood by his wife and supported her throughout. So okay. that's good. It, yeah. On December 3rd, the Scranton Truth reported on the sentencing of Edith Connell and Myra Brown. And they were in front of Judge Edwards. The pair were both represented by Herbert L. Taylor, and he stated that most of the stolen goods found on Edith and Myra's person were given to them by Annie. And so they kind of portrayed it as Annie was a bad influence in their friendship. Okay. So they were sentenced to three months in the county jail, which is significantly less time than Annie's yeah. sentence, um, even though they all played a role in huh. it. Yeah. So now, um, once they were out of jail, do we know anything else about them? I wasn't able to find anything in the paper. Yeah, so do you have any thoughts? It's just interesting how they got away with it for some time. Mm -hmm. Especially hiding, like when you said, like, I think the last thing she stole was like the dishes. Yeah. And I was thinking, what, like. How and how did it not clatter and clink? And <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it is kind of interesting mm-hmm. in a way how they were able to get away with it for so long. So Yeah. Yeah. And they probably would have kept getting away with it if Annie didn't try to go on her uh-huh. own that day. Mm-hmm. And even the newspaper mentioned that. Well, thank you for being on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. Um, next week, we'll be continuing with the True Crime series. And it's just a collection of miscellaneous mugshots that we'll do next week. They're kind of favorite stories of mine and other people in reference when we were going through them and looking at them for various reasons. 
I hope you enjoyed this and I hope you enjoy next week and this short little series that we're doing. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please feel free to send me an email at aloney at albright.org. That is A-L-O-N-E-Y at albright.org. Or feel free to call the library at 570-348-3000. Thank you. Thank you.